0: Finance loves anything that gives it an edge. Flashy technology and high-powered automation in the financial sector is nothing new. But today, AI systems that can process more data than a human ever could have allowed market traders to make ultra-fast decisions. Streams of data have given these AI systems the capacity to generate new trading strategies. Machine learning tools that analyse satellite imagery or social media chatter have conjured new, unusual ways to analyse markets. Machine learning systems can read the number of oil tankers photographed from space to get an edge on stock prices or count the number of cars in supermarket car parks. The hope is that machine learning makes sharper predictions, finding the signal in the noise.
1: We can process... Very big data sets using artificial intelligence. You know, you get a big ocean, there's an awful lot of water and not much fish. But if you have a good radar and whatever else you need, you know, you can get
0: to the fish. Luke Ellis is the head of Man Group, an investment firm that's known for its use of machine learning technology. They make profits, or alpha, from the research generated by AI. One of the ways they do that is by using natural language processing software to read text and speech from company reports and other financial documents.
2: Thank you for standing by. Good day, everyone, and welcome. The software
0: can listen to more hours of calls and read more pages of company reports than any human. And welcome to our Q4 Today, earnings calls from corporate bosses have not just humans listening in, but AI-powered systems too. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Netflix Q1 2021 to
3: Alphabet's first quarter 2021 sure no. first, two first quarter holiday season has first always quarter. been a busy three to fifty so percent. Cutting edge product. Continued presentation,
4: will be a and answer session.
0: A few years ago, Luke was talking with some people on his team who were working on natural language processing.
1: And they were talking about earnings calls. They would started by looking for what I would call obvious phrases.
0: Natural language processing is one way that artificial intelligence can learn from text and speech. It works by looking at what words might appear close to one another and how sentences are formed. The hope is that AI can not just predict human language, but interpret it too. The team at Man Group had deployed AI to find when CEOs were using words like cutting profit or increasing dividend, simple terms that might indicate whether a company was doing well and whether that company's stock price might move. But over time, it began to learn more about those earning calls and what different phrases might signal about a company's health.
1: The team that does the natural language processing started Doing some interesting stuff where you let the technology look for phrases that it thinks moves prices. They were talking me through this idea, and I'm like, okay, but I sort of think I get the conceptual idea, but what's an example? And then they said, well, here's an example. So the system doesn't like it when a CEO says the word but. And I'm like, okay, I sort of think I understand that, but can you give me some more detail? And then I stopped and went, hang on, I just used the word but, why was I using it? And they went, there you go, there's an example. You're using the word but there because you don't really believe the first half of your sentence. I sort of think I understand that, but you've said it because you're supposed to say it. And the but phrase is to really highlight, so I don't mean that. And what the machine appeared to be picking up was that.
0: Why then was the machine learning system flagging the word but?
1: In the old days, a CEO would boost the stock all the time and only say positive things. And then the rules changed. And if you say something which isn't factually accurate, you can find yourself getting sued. So suddenly, CEOs didn't want to say things that weren't factually accurate. But at the same time, they'd still like the stock price to go up. So they would say the bullish type of statement, and then either consciously or subconsciously would qualify it with a but statement.
0: The system was learning on its own and recognising that when a CEO said the word but in an earnings call, they might be trying to gloss over some deeper issues. The AI system was mapping how a stock price was reacting to certain words, and learning how CEOs were playing with particular phrases. And what Luke realised was that if other AI systems were listening in, he would also have to start changing the way he spoke on his own earning calls.
1: And since then, I run all of my prepared remarks through the system to see whether it thinks I'm being particularly bullish, particularly bearish, you know, sort of where am I on a sentiment spectrum. And I write myself a little note in front of myself of five words I should avoid using and try not to say those words.
0: Man Group is understandably cagey about what other words their AI systems are picking up from earnings calls.
1: We make money out of this idea. So I'm protecting my own ability to run a conference call and also our ability to make alpha. As usual, I'll start with some highlights and an overview of last year.
0: AI can crunch the data about the words that companies use and slice through the jargon to see if the books really check out. The next step, some researchers say, is tech that can analyse tone of voice, like a financial lie detector. But there are many other uses for it in finance. Is AI outsmarting investors, or just helping some of them get smarter? You're listening to Tectonic. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times and your host for the series. This season, we're exploring the uses of artificial intelligence and how it is deployed in the real world. Once upon a time, trading looked like the scenes in Wolf of Wall Street or American Psycho. Now much of the money flows through workers who never put a martini on expenses. Computer-powered, high-frequency traders dominate the kind of trading once done on those noisy floors. And automated quants, quantitative investors, manage at least $1.5 trillion, and some 70 percent of financial services firms use ai will it be able to predict market movements and with all the promise of ai in finding new profit generating solutions what limitations might there be on ai's ability to understand and come up with new trading strategies
2: at the beginning it was more of a case of me gradually realizing and learning how finance had evolved dramatically from the way it's commonly perceived and the way I'd, I'd learned about it.
0: The FT's global financial correspondent, Robin Wigglesworth, has been digging into financial AI for this program.
2: And then it was a lot about, you know, actually really getting stuck into the, the, the nuts and bolts of things, because I think a lot of people, even in markets, are still grappling with understanding these changes. But it's only really in the last decade or so that we've really seen huge strides forward in has actually being used on a day-to-day basis by people when it comes to improving the efficiency of their trading to sourcing investment ideas to managing their
0: risks. I mean, some of the critics of hedge funds would argue that uh, what they're trying to do is to try to find inside information to get a market advantage by legal means. Is that one way of looking at these AI programs that they're trying to gain an inside advantage?
2: Well, one we can look at it that way, certainly. I mean, in many ways, you know, investing has often been the continual, never-ending hunt for a legal edge. I mean, back in the day in Venice, merchants used to put people with, with spyglasses on top of the tallest towers to see which ships were coming in first. They looked at the flags and say, oh, well, that's a ship probably loaded with spices from the east. So they'd send the signal down to the merchant and he'd short sell spices. So there isn't anything meaningfully different between what a hedge fund does and that, for example. But it does start getting more complex. So it's it's fairly obvious that, let's say, if oil prices go up, then generally speaking, the price of oil companies' stocks should go up as well. But what if something's more subtle? What about maybe... For example, one pattern that apparently existed that was no longer there anymore, that French traders were tended to buy the market when the sun was shining in Paris, that French traders were more affected by the weather than traders in other cities. Nobody could really explain why that was, but it was a durable pattern, apparently, that did exist for quite some time, and people made money of it until it suddenly didn't work. But with machine learning, we can find more of these
0: very subtle, basically interceptable signals and trade them. What is it exactly, Robin, do you think? What's the best way to conceptualize AI in financial markets?
2: Well, broadly speaking, you can divide the investment industry into two different tribes. And historically, they never met. One, which was the discretionary portfolio manager, used human intuition, gut instinct to both trade and make investments. Now, there might have Use a lot of brain power and a lot of numbers and Excel spreadsheets to crunch numbers to find the best investments. But broadly speaking, it was still about the brilliance of an individual human portfolio manager. On the other hand, we have quantitative fund managers. And these are people that often have backgrounds in, in science, technology and engineering who want what they call rules based investing. So if a stock goes up three days in a row, then it will probably go up for a fourth day in a row. Or if it goes up four days in a row, odds are that it will fall for a fifth day. Find the rules quicker than everybody else, systematize them, then you can basically automate the investment process.
0: How excited are people in finance about the prospects of AI to help make market predictions and discover new insights?
2: That's a great question. And I think in, in a word, it's very, they're very excited. But I think the degree of excitement varies quite a bit. There are some people that see this as an entirely new revolutionary era of investing and others that see AI as more of a new, good, useful tool to use on certain specific problems. Not much more sophisticated than tools that they've used for decades, like linear regression. And essentially, it's a bit like having an electric saw rather than an old-fashioned saw. So that's really good if you want to saw lots of wood, but if you want to knock in a nail, it's not going to help you having an electric saw. Clearly some skeptics about
0: this whole move towards AI. Can you tell us about some of these people?
2: So a really interesting person to talk about all this is Ewan Kirk. He's a classic geek who loves technology. And up until his retirement a few years ago, he ran a quant hedge fund called Cantab Capital. And his career kind of tells a story of quants in my eyes. Somebody came into finance with a hard science background and has been surrounded by AI for
5: quite some time. I started life as a tire fitter. Then I got an education, got a degree, got a PhD in general relativity. Growing up in the west of Scotland in Cumbernauld, which is officially the shittiest town in the UK. Couldn't fight and couldn't play football, so the only way really to get out of the west of Scotland is to try and get an education.
2: So, after getting an advanced degree in relativity, he did what a lot of Quants did, which was to move from academic research, which let's face it can be fairly dull and and dry, to something that he will readily tell you was a lot more profitable, namely working at an investment bank. And he told me about how he encountered AI technology for the first time whilst he was just getting his start at Goldman Sachs some decades
5: ago. I remember coming across neural nets in the early 90s at Goldman. Somebody was wanting to license to Goldman some sort of neural net system which may or may not have forecasted the dollar mark exchange rate. That's how old it was.
2: That system never really went anywhere. I've heard a lot of these early attempts were very slow, very cumbersome, and were just not able to stay on top of the markets. But the interesting thing is that this technology has been around for a while in the financial world. Quants have always realized that these sort of predictive systems could potentially help them.
5: As a financial institution, whether or not it's a hedge fund or a a bank you're basically putting your mouth over a fire hose of data every single day i mean there's an enormous amount of data that flows in let's face it digitization has made
2: financial data a lot more readily available turned into numbers that people can trade so the main idea is to train ai systems on that data on historical market data to make them better at trading at cantab the hedge fund he was running Ewan did some really, really cool experimenting with genetic algorithms. These are basically trading algorithms that learn by themselves and propagate just like a living organism.
5: Genetic algorithms are an approach where basically you get a whole bunch of computer entities. You make little agents, little, little lumps of computer code. And they all have Parameters, I don't know, it might be a holding period, there might be a use See, builds maybe 100,000 of these things,
2: all designed to buy or sell based
5: on certain
2: set parameters.
5: And their job is to sort of eat market data and produce money.
2: And they call them genetic algorithms because the ones that don't make money, they get killed off. And the ones that do make money, Well, they're allowed to procreate and
0: proliferate. I I
5: thought, this is a pretty interesting way of searching a really broad parameter space because you've got these little beasties searching the space for you and the ones that win eventually should take over. So he sets this system up on a Friday night. I came in on Monday morning and I had an entire population of medium term trend followers. A medium-term trend
2: follower is essentially just a very old, very well-known popular investment strategy already, which basically involves surfing the market's momentum up or down. The point being, he already knew how to do that. He didn't need to build an elaborate machine learning system to figure out how to do it.
5: So that sort of shows you one issue with AI, which is if you ask something to search for a way of making money, It might just come back with some way you already know about. There is this
2: fundamental problem with AI in that we have to train it on data. But in markets, there's just one data set, and that's what's happened in the past. And if there's something new that hasn't happened before, or hasn't happened in that data set, such as a global pandemic, then AI systems
5: can get a little bit stuck. If there's one thing that machine learning or AI or statistics is good at. It is extracting what normally happens out of a data set. I
0: mean, that's almost the definition.
5: If you think about the definition of an average, it's kind of like what normally happens is you get the average.
0: So even with all the financial data out there, a quant like Ewan runs up against the limits of AI pretty quickly. Oh, for sure. I mean, he's
2: quite funny about the whole thing, really. Like he talks about the Google DeepMind project to build a machine that could play the game Go, which everyone, including me, got very excited
5: about for a period. If I if I was playing AlphaGo and started cheating or turned turned the virtual board upside down, it's not it's not going to be very good at dealing with that stuff because one of the issues with artificial intelligence is that it's not really intelligence as we know it. If if I introduced you to my imaginary friend Bob. And I said, Bob plays an incredible game of Go. But he can't tie his shoelaces, can't talk, can't see, can't understand anything, can't walk around. You wouldn't think that Bob was a particularly intelligent person.
0: So the point that Ewan's making is that, you know, AlphaGo could beat some of the greatest players at Go, but it couldn't actually pick up the stones to move the pieces on the board. Is that a good analogy for financial markets? Are these systems going to be incredibly limited in what they can do?
2: I think that's right. I mean, AlphaGo was fascinating. What DeepMind built there was incredible. And it was probably the closest thing, as far as I understand, to us basically programming human intuition. But it's still fundamentally a game. And financial markets has got more noise to signal than probably anything else in the world. So Ewan has this great musical analogy that he uses to explain this issue of signal-to-noise ratio in markets.
5: If music had the same signal-to-noise ratio that markets have, you wouldn't be able to hear the music for the hiss, because the hiss is everything. And I think that is what makes finance on a large scale very, very difficult, statistically.
2: Do you think we'll ever get to a point where a combination of fast enough computers, granular and clean enough data, and sophisticated enough artificial intelligence systems of some kind will be able to reduce that hiss into, yeah, you know, a symphony of markets? Uh,
5: no, I think I think the noise is and has been a fundamental part of markets, and. It's not that the noise is something that you can kind of get rid of.
0: Techno evangelists would have us believe that in the end, AI will solve all our problems from climate change to urban planning. But the imperfect results of AI powered business and markets might make you feel dubious about that claim. Andrew Eng is a leading AI researcher, co-founder of Google Brain and formerly chief scientist at Baidu.
3: Possibly the most lucrative application, maybe not the most inspiring, but highly lucrative of supervised learning is online advertising today, where all the large online ad platforms have an AI that inputs some information about you and some information about an ad. That's the input and tries to figure out where you click on this ad or not, because by showing you slightly more relevant ads and driving up click-through rates, every click is revenue for the large online ad platform. So it's a very lucrative application of AI. A lot of AI has started in consumer software internet because these were the companies with the infrastructure, the um, talent, and also the data to get going quickly.
0: If AI has been profitable in any field, it's been online advertising. That's where AI's predictive abilities have surpassed even the wildest dreams of AI researchers. But what's interesting is that ad tech is a very clear-cut instance of narrow AI. If general AI is the full capability to act like a human, narrow AI is the ability to do one
3: thing well. One of the limitations of today's AI systems is that they see such a narrow sliver of the world compared to a difficult person. And so the risk that they will latch on to some spurious correlation, such as detecting dogs by finding leashes is much higher uh, you know compared to if you have a child and you teach them what's a dog and what's a wolf and they can somehow understand that the leash is not maybe not the defining characteristic of a dog versus a wolf.
0: So skilled are these miniature canine experts in fact that some people think they could teach computers a thing or two.
4: Young children are the best learners that we know of in the universe. They learn in a very short time. They learn a tremendous amount.
0: This is Alison Gopnik.
4: I am a professor of psychology, affiliate professor of philosophy, and member of the Berkeley AI Research Group at the University of California at Berkeley.
0: Her lab looks at how infant learning processes might be able to help us develop better, more creative AI.
4: They seem to learn from relatively small amounts of data, um, and yet they can make these amazing generalisations. So they seem to be able to go out into the world, just find out one or two things and decide, apply them in a very wide range of cases.
0: Gopnik is trying to use the way that babies learn and to pit the infant human brain against a machine so that AI systems can learn better. It's
4: basically a maze. So it's a set of mazes and the challenge is to navigate that maze. And what we can do, what we have done, is design an interface so that We can have children, three- and four-year-olds, playing the maze. And we can also have a variety of different kinds of reinforcement agents uh, playing in the maze. So what we can do is track in exactly the same maze, uh, we can track what do the children do when they're trying to explore and figure out how the maze works, and what do different kinds of AIs do in the maze.
0: Usually, machine learning systems reward the AI when they do something right. But these AIs get a reward when they do something that leads to a surprising or unexpected result. And this makes them explore weird events, just like the babies.
4: You can set up an objective function for an AI, like get the highest profit from this. Then the AI will go out and do it and it will imitate what it sees everybody else around it doing. But what AIs are not very good at doing is thinking up a new objective for themselves, thinking up a new measure, thinking up a new way of doing things. In the financial world, especially, one of the interesting things that happens over and over again is that, of course, just doing what everybody else is doing is not going to be the most effective strategy. The most effective strategy is to do something that's new that's exactly the thing that everybody else is not doing. And that's going to be particularly true with something where lots and lots of human beings are acting and You're trying to figure out what it is that those other human beings are doing and trying to predict what those other human beings are doing.
0: Gopnik and other researchers who have turned to infant learning for insights into AI are trying to solve that problem of systems that churn out narrow, uncreative solutions.
4: So I think trying to have a system that could actually be curious, could actually be trying to figure out the underlying structure of what's going on in a system is one kind of approach you could have. That's the thing that kids seem to be especially good at doing. Just shaking things up, doing something that looks purposeless and random, and yet being able to find the good solutions.
2: Well, I think every parent has experienced something like this, right? That you try and teach your child how to eat with a spoon, and you feel it's incredibly slow and they're never going to get it. And then they pick up a smartphone and seem to crack it within seconds. They learn to use a smartphone quicker than I did. And this goes to show that actually, you know, in certain areas, babies and kids are really quick learners as well. And actually, in financial markets, we haven't gone to the point where a lot of these things are the equivalent smartness of your average four five-year-old, as crazy as that might seem.
0: But I guess both babies and algorithms, to some extent, need reinforcement learning, don't they? You have to, as a parent, Robin, kind of reinforce your kid's good habits and uh, try to minimize the bad ones, no?
2: No, exactly. I mean, in some cases, you, you run it through many tests, like you let your child learn to walk around and catch them a few times before they fall before you let them walk unassisted. And In the same way, you wouldn't let a trading algorithm suddenly, you know, make it straight down to the markets without rigorous testing in some sort of neutral environment. That's what quants do a lot of things. It's just testing things again and again and again and teaching it again and again and again. Make sure that, you know, when they start walking, they, they walk around markets and don't cause havoc in the same way that a child can in, you know, a glass shop, for example.
0: How dangerous is it if we pass over all of the kind of trading programs to algorithms? I know that a number of flash crashes have been blamed on automated trading systems, which have in effect just been trading against each other. So pretty much all
2: trading is automated now. Even discretionary fund managers don't actually send somebody down to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to buy and sell the shares they want to trade. So it's all automated. It's all done by algorithms. And then investment managers have, to varying degrees, automated their own investment strategies on top of that. But the executioner side is entirely algo-driven. Algos can basically just do what they're told and then don't have a lot of gut instinct in them. And they're very quick. And that's why you can see flash crashes, which have always existed in some form or fashion. But a flash crash might have taken a day in the past, maybe a few weeks. Now it can happen in milliseconds, speeds that humans can't really react to. Now that's something that I think is very improbable, but just the mere fact that it's possible is unnerving. So I think the story of trading and investing in finance for the next few decades is going to be essentially systematizing a lot of what humans have already done for quite a while, but just doing it better and quicker than in the past, and hopefully with less stumbles.
0: As we've learned in this episode, AI can be used in imaginative and sometimes highly lucrative ways in the world of finance as we're hearing a lot in this series, we need to be extremely careful about how we use these systems. While good at performing very narrow functions, they remain hopeless at more general tasks. Human babies tend to gurgle and burp and poop a lot, but they remain a far superior learning machine to any that humans have yet invented. You've been listening to Tectonic from the Financial Times in London. With me, John Thornhill. Alice Fordham is our senior producer. Josh G. D. our assistant producer. Aluwa Kemi Aladasui and Liam Nolan are our development producers. Sound design and mixing were by Breen Turner. Cheryl Brumley is the executive producer for this series. And original scoring was composed by Metaphor Music.